Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Donna Khalil, a python removal contractor, sometimes called a python hunter. Yes, as in Burmese python. Employed by the South Florida Water Management District, Khalil is one of the most prolific specialists in the ongoing effort to manage this predator who has an insatiable appetite, no natural enemies, and a tendency to reproduce rapidly. Khalil grew up in Venezuela with a love for his snakes and other wildlife in the jungle. Years later, though, she was working as a real estate agent in South Florida. In the early 2000s, it was becoming well known that Burmese pythons would attack and eat any animals in and around the Everglades, including the area's top predators, alligators and crocodiles. A pivotal moment was when photos appeared of a gator exploding out of the stomach of a dead 13-foot python, which earlier had eaten the gator. These photos went viral, prompting many people to jump into the python hunting business, including Khalil, who eased out of a real estate career and since become one of the most successful, highest-profile practitioners of python culling. We'll hear about python hunting, how she gets into it, how it works, maybe touch on the Florida Python Challenge coming up later this summer, and more when I speak with Donna Khalil in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Meanwhile, a programming note, one week from today, June 7th, WNF Summer Fun Drive begins, and Talking Animals will be raising money for WNF that day, the 7th. June is notable in the Talking Animals world for another reason. It marks our 20th anniversary. I launched the show in June of 2003 at KUCI in Irvine, California, relocating to WNF in late 2005. Perhaps you could salute our anniversary by pledging the support of Talking Animals. I'm hoping you might consider donating, ideally before June 7th, just to give us a a running head start here on making our good size fundraising goal. So any amount, 35, 50, whatever you can swing, if you can go higher than that, obviously so much the better. We greatly appreciate it. Please visit WMNF.org and donate in the direct your donation to section. There's a drop down menu. So please select TLA Talking Animals and that'll ensure that donation gets to us in support of our show here. So thank you. As always, we'll be offering Exclusive thank you gifts for donations of various levels, including a pair of fantastic concert tickets to a band I can't announce just yet because we haven't confirmed the tickets. But um, also, we've got very cool Whammo 75th Anniversary Special Edition Dog Frisbees. We've got three specially signed copies of Unseen Jungle, the microbes that secretly control our world. The fantastic book at the center of the May 3rd interview we had with this author, Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice, which has turned out to be many listeners' favorite interview on the show in the last several months. Plus familiar gifts like great cat aprons, dog aprons, all sorts of canine-oriented beverage containers, talking animal t-shirts, and more. So I hope you'll support us whenever you can, and if you can do it before next Wednesday, that'd be great. Otherwise, we'll be here next Wednesday, Flea and I, raising money for WMNF. Right now, though, let's talk pythons with Donna. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj wmnf.org. Or texting 813-433-0885. This is Donna Khalil 
on Talking Animals on WNN. Good morning, Donna. Good morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm so I'm doing very well, and I appreciate you joining us on Talking Animals. I'm really looking forward to uh, to talking uh, pythons. So let's begin by talking about how you felt about snakes and other wildlife, starting when you were a kid. So as I noted in the introduction, I believe you grew up in Venezuela. Um, I, I, th- those are my first memories. Uh, my dad was in the military, and we traveled around a lot. But uh, my first memories were in uh, Caracas, Venezuela. And um, we moved back to the States back in 1969, moved down to Florida, uh, North Miami. And uh, now I am in South Miami. So uh, I've, I've been there here ever since. I'm pretty much a Miamian. Yeah. Well, let's go back a little yeah. bit, because I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think some of that time in Venezuela, there was snakes and wildlife that I think you had like a real uh, interest in even back then absolutely yeah yeah no like i said my first memories um we lived in a house that was uh, basically up on the mountain um outside of the city and uh, our backyard was literally the jungle you know a a rainforest jungle and uh our house uh we're actually an apartment and our our apartment had a a flat roof um and i was riding my tricycle and at the time and and um we would sit out. My, when my dad would come back from from uh, from service, he would he would you know we would go out there either in the morning or at night, and both sometimes you know right, watching the sunset and look for animals um, right out our patio there, looking for snakes and all sorts of wildlife. You know the birds, obviously, and and um, <clears throat> uh, Cucamundes, I think they're called. I forgot the name of them already. Oh, uh, uh, Cucamundes, I think it is. Cucamundes, yeah, yeah Cucamundes, yeah, and. Um, yeah, we'd see all sorts of crazy stuff, including the snakes and the the, the game I spy with my little eye, and that's that's uh, did that since I was like five. So, um, you know, one of the hardest things uh, to catching a python is actually seeing them. You, you can't catch them if you can't see them. So, yeah, I think that is one of my my benefits, uh, one of my special skills that I have to uh, to be able to spot the darn things. And um, you know, once you spot them. Uh, you, you get out there and you catch them. I've, I've caught over 750, actually 758 to date. And I, I believe only five have gotten away from me and, uh, all five of them were in the water. They get very slippery when they're in the water. I'm sure. And, uh, well, we'll, we'll yeah, get into all those like details, <laughs> uh, momentarily, but, uh, okay. um, I say we'll get into all those details momentarily, but uh, mm-hmm. sounds like really the the Venezuela experience, just with uh, exposure to snakes and, and wildlife, really uh, kind of sharpened your, your spotting skills for much later in life when it did come to the pythons. How many of those animals were considered dangerous that you were seeing or, or in close proximity to when you were in Venezuela? In Venezuela, um, well, we you know we were up on our patio, so we were looking across. The a, a gate. It's it's um it was a big um gate, so they wouldn't get in. But there were uh the things that I'd love to see were like the ocelots and and uh, funny. My brother and I just hunted last night, and we were talking about this. And the biggest snake we had ever seen was a, a, a giant um, uh, um, boa constrictor, which you know back then was a big snake for us. Yeah. And and just seeing it out in the woods, and of course both of my brothers older than me. They wanted to go out and catch it real quick, you know, but unfortunately it was the deep jungle. So uh, we were right on the edge of that jungle and, and, you know, we weren't allowed to go in there. So I'm uh, sure it was tempting, though, right? I'm sure. uh, I don't know if all those were all those rules always observed. I'm going to guess you and your brothers at some point (laughs) crossed over there occasionally just out of sheer curiosity. Absolutely. They were not observed all the times and the animals didn't observe them either. You know, we'd we'd have uh, the Kukumundis right down our street and, you know, snakes and all sorts 
sorts of stuff would come out of the jungle too. So um, we actually even had a, a, a pet bat at one one point. So wow, um, probably not the best thing to have, but no, it, it had gotten injured somehow, and and we kept it in a in an old birdcage that we had until it it came to, and then we let it go. Oh so, wow, yeah, and we've been doing that. Yeah, we've been doing that ever. You know, I've been doing that ever since I was a kid. Also, it's like if you see an injured animal, you know, try to help it out and and get it back to where it belongs. So you were that kid that probably tended to injured real animals wherever you happened to be at the time. Yeah, and last night, same thing. You know, I saw two snakes getting ready to cross the road, and so I, I helped them cross the road. You know, I, I leave them alone out in the out in the wild, but if they're trying to cross a man-made obstacle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help if I can. Yeah. Uh, and that is what I do today. So when you did move to Florida, then I'm going to guess it sounds like your passion and concern for wildlife just continue to just probably shift it a little bit. Some of the species were a little different, but it sounds Absolutely. like... And uh, so did you spend much time, I guess first you said you were in North Florida and then eventually moved to South Florida. So what were the, some of the... Well, an- North Miami. Yeah. North, oh, North, North Miami. Miami. Oh, I see. Yeah, I got North you. Miami. Okay. I got yeah, you. Yeah. Where, where Aventura is now, um, that was my playground. And um, yeah, no, we, we transitioned very easily from uh, from Caracas to to. Uh, North Miami back then, and there there wasn't much uh, civilization as you call it nowadays. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the city of Aventura was not there. It, it was in the planning, and um, we would go out there and catch lizards and snakes, and you know, chase anything that moved, and and just explored. You know, we had our bikes, and we we're out of the house uh, without our shoes on, riding our bikes all day long until the the lights came on, and then we had to come back. So <laughs> yeah, you know that that was uh, yeah. So, that was that was and, how the days were spent absolutely and uh and you know um on the weekends my my dad would take us out into the uh either into the everglades to explore or uh, at the beach so i i always like to say you know my beach is my front yard my uh, the everglades is my backyard wow so very uh, yeah i'm very comfortable in both (laughs) it sure sounds like and it sounds like a lot of years that then you've been in and around the everglades Mm -hmm, absolutely yep my life pretty much yeah, no, it sure sounds like it. And it also sounds like snakes have been a big part of, of that lifelong love of, of wildlife and animals. So it's interesting to sort of, you know, reconcile that with kind of what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, for some reason, we weren't allowed to keep uh, cats and dogs. I think my mom was allergic. Um, so we never did have cats or dogs as uh, as pets. So we would pretty much catch our pets. And a lot of the times, you know, snakes and lizards were, were the uh, the fair to, to keep because they're actually actually pretty easy to keep and and they can get pretty friendly you can pet them and hold them and you know they they're yeah more more than a million people keep uh, reptiles as pets you know it's a, it's a big big industry um but yeah that's that's what we would keep and and i've had all sorts of pets as, as a kid and when i had my kids growing up i wanted to make sure they weren't afraid of them so we kept some snakes back then too and and uh now i have benny who is a ball python and uh he was he was abandoned out there in the everglades people still do you know let their pets go they think they're you know giving them a free freedom of life out there in the Everglades. But for the most part, um, you know, a ball python and most animals cannot survive out there. And if I hadn't driven by at the time and saw him, he would have been alligator food. Oh. Only four feet. Yeah, he's not going to get any bigger than about five feet. And uh, he, he eats um, frozen mice. You know, so he, he doesn't know how to how to hunt. So he would have definitely not survived. And I do want to let everybody know, don't ever let your pets go out in the Everglades uh, or anywhere because, you know, anything, cat, bird, snake, lizard, whatever, they, they don't belong there. Um, and it's not a, a great 
thing to do for your pet and for the environment because if it is like the Burmese python when people let them go they actually did take over and now we have a horrible problem with uh, them eating all of the native animals that are that are out there they'll eat everything from a bird to a um, to to a rabbit to a deer you know I've, I've actually found deer hose in in uh, a 15 foot python that i caught a while back so yeah and as we said at the beginning are. of the show that sometimes they'll even eat a, a gator or a crocodile which yes, seems uh, ambitious and sometimes does not work out for the python as we've also noted i guess but uh, absolutely yeah yeah it could, that can that can go either way you know yeah no. who's who's the bigger of the uh, of the predator right you know? no i've seen some real tussling though like in little like water areas and other things where i'm not sure who's winning the battle until it's all done, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Donna Khalil, one of the most prolific python hunters, trying to reduce the population of this voracious predator with no natural enemies. Attacks and eats all animals in and around the Everglades, including, as we just noted, gators and crocodiles, and um, just really everything just has kind of decimated the, all kinds of species in and around there, and that's why people like Donna exist. So we invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663 emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting 813-433-0885. So let's talk about how this all began for you. So so you're obviously you're into snakes and wildlife, but as I understand it at the time that this all kind of changed, you were a real estate agent. Yeah, you know, you have to pay your bills. And, sure. Um, you, you, you can't really pay your bills by catching snakes. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it, thankfully, um, I've done well in life and so is my husband. And so I'm sort of retired and this is a, you know, this is a retirement job. This could be a second job for someone and I don't discourage people from, you know, applying. Um, but, uh, but it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna pay your bills. Um, so yeah, real estate was, uh, was what I was in, in, uh, and, and did well in. And, um, so you know, I guess when this came along, it, it basically, uh, the Python Challenge came in 2013. That was the first Python Challenge. And I, you know, I found out that, you know, there's snakes in the Everglades. We're going to go out and, you know, have an adventure and, and go search for them. And uh, I, I got involved, did not catch one in 2013, did not find one, um, but pretty much was entered the, the Python world in, at, at that point. And uh, found out that uh, the parks, Everglades National Parks and Big Cypress were, were uh, asking for volunteers to help uh, remove them. So I, I signed up for that. And through that, um, found out that uh, in 2017, um, South Florida Water Management District was going to be hiring 25 people to, uh, to actually get paid to drive around looking for them. So I figured since I was doing it already, I might as well sign up and um, quite honestly, I almost didn't take the job because, uh, you know, you had to euthanize them yourself and, mm. um, I'm not, I, I've, I'm a spear fisherman. I fish and I, I've, I've killed many of animals to eat, um, but never to just, you know, just to, to do remove it. them from, from the, ever, you know, to remove them from the environment. Yeah. And, and that was, that was difficult, you know, but, uh, but I knew that, you know, every single Python that I remove, I'm saving you know, hundreds, if not thousands of lives of, of native animals that do belong in the environment. Uh, you know, uh, it's the choice that I, that I decided to, to make. And, um, 
And I do feel like uh, that still holds true today. You know, every yeah. single one that I remove, I, it, it's saving uh, native animals that, that do belong in the environment. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really important point. It's one that I thought a lot about uh, in terms of this show because it's, you know, may seem at first counterintuitive that, it, that this kind of show would be talking about well, here's somebody who who kills animals for a living. Yeah. But it's a little more complicated than that. In fact, it's a lot more complicated than that. And the reasons you just cited in terms of the exponential factor of species mm-hmm. and animals that people that do what you do and you yourself are sparing. Because as we've yeah. noted, the, the pythons are voracious. They have no no enemies, no predators coming after them. And they just they just take everything in and around the Everglades. So... I mean, it's just they've just wiped out so many animals, so many species. So uh, yeah, and you know, to to to, to uh, ex, ex, you know to explain that a little bit, you know, again, I've been down here since the '70s, and uh, we used to go out in the Everglades, and I would, you know, as we're driving down there, I'd count as many rabbits as I could, and I'd get into the hundreds. You know, they yeah. they were everywhere. And now you go down there, I, I that's where I, you know, that's part of the area that I work, and. I have not seen a rabbit in the, well, I, there there hasn't been rabbits for over 20 years. And, you know, if you come down here and you look at the Everglades and it's beautiful, it is, it's still beautiful and everything. But if you weren't here before and you didn't know what it was before, you don't realize what you're missing. You know, yeah. there are no mammals down there. Are There are no rabbits down there. There are no ra- raccoons and rab and 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 opossums and foxes and they're, they're all missing and that's because the the python ate them all i mean don't get me wrong i love the python it's a beautiful majestic animal it's they're they're awesome creatures they just don't belong they just don't belong there and and you know i it, it it's hard to do but i know what the uh, what the circumstances uh are and uh you know i i you have to you have to make that hard choice you know yeah well it's the ultimate sort of invasive species and we've seen the the damage and havoc that it's wreaked so yeah. and even with people like you and i don't know how many other sort of colleagues there are like you but it's still like strictly as a numbers game kind of a losing game as i understand it just because they do reproduce yeah. so rapidly so you, you can't ever stay ahead of it all you can do is try to like slow it down i guess well, we have a hundred contractors, and uh, you know that that doesn't seem like much, especially considering we basically hunt from the Keys up to Loxahatchee, East Naples to West Miami, and the whole area in between. Um, so there's a huge amount of area, and that's where you get the numbers. Where there's so much space, and there's so many animals that they figure are in the Everglades, they figure there could be hundreds. The 300,000 pythons, I mean, I've even heard a million out there, but wow. quite honestly, I am I am much more optimistic, and I believe that there are maybe only in the tens of thousands instead of the hundreds of thousands. Oh, yeah? Thousands. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, I do. Um, well, one of the reasons is is that the most of the Everglades is, is not conducive for them to reproduce. They have to have high ground, unlike the anaconda. If we were talking about the anaconda, I don't think I'd be out there trying. Uh, <laughs> you know, I see. Just, yeah. That would be, you know, because they give live birth and there's just no way we're going to get to them in the water. Uh, but here, they have to come to dry land. And that, I believe, is one of the reasons why we catch so many on the levees. We, we drive the levees uh, at night and in the day. In the, in the winter, uh, we drive in the day looking for them, uh, looking for nests, and, and at night in the summer, uh, when they come up to the uh, to the levees to, to feed on, on rats and birds waiting next to the uh, levee. But um, they, they, I believe that they tend to stay near these levees. 
um, you know, they can go out into the Everglades 25 miles. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they are perfectly comfortable with living there, but they have to come back to dry land. And the levees are perfect for that. And, yes, we do have, um, you know, the islands, uh, um, the, the, the um, hardwood hammocks and whatnot that they can have uh, their nests on, too. But it's not full coverage, you know, so that's one of the reasons the numbers are, are in my mind, smaller than what we hear most of the time. I see. And also, I've been, I've been doing this for six years, and uh, where I started catching, they would be, on average, about 10 feet long. And now I actually haven't been able to find one uh, down there um, in the area that I used to hunt uh, for the past two years. Uh, so I do believe that there are some areas that we can clear out. Um, and I believe that we've done that fairly well, um, but, you know, they are still showing up in other places and, and moving further north where there's more food, more more um, mammals. Resources, um, yeah. So, yeah, so they are moving into uh, the more resource-rich areas, um, but that's not to say that there's not any more pythons where we used to hunt. There's just less. I see. Uh, and, yeah. and we have seen a few raccoons and a few possums coming back, so I feel like if we... If we keep pressure on them, if we keep taking out as many as possible, if not as many as we used to because there are not as many there, still getting those stragglers that we haven't been able to find, you know, hopefully uh, it'll give our, our native species the uh, the opportunity to uh, breed and, and to, come to, back. To, to rebound a little bit, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It, and one of the things I, I, I like to tell people, it's like, well, you know, it, look, if they ate all the all the animals out of the Everglades, they're going to starve. It's like, well, that's not exactly true because they really haven't eaten all of the animals. They've eaten all of the mammals, but there are still birds and alligators and rats. And yeah. that's what they, they live on. You know, uh, the, the areas where there are no uh, mammals, you know, I do uh, dissect uh, many of the, the animals, uh, the, the pythons, to see what they're eating. Uh, and to give that uh, information for research purposes. And uh, it's mainly rats and birds and alligators. And, you know, I've actually found an iguana in one and wow. unfortunately a, a cat in another because, mm. you know, it was close to civilization. So, you know, I want to warn your, your, your listeners, you know, if you have uh, pets outside and you live close to... Uh, Close to the Everglades, yeah, you, know, you have to be careful about uh, about that. They will they will take a pet. You know? Yeah, yeah. You think um, about protecting against gators, but then you got else to think. Depending on where you are, there's a whole other python risk. Let's let's yeah. take. We've got a couple people that have been holding. Let's get them involved in the okay. conversation. Sure. Okay. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Donna Khalil. Hello. Hello, it's you. Go ahead, please. Hello, this is Jack in Ellington. Hi, Jack. I would like to thank your guest so much for what she's doing. It's um, wonderful to hear some success in this area. I've probably made the wilderness waterway canoe trip, camping trip, six or seven times, and I don't even want to. I want to remember it like it was. It's 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 degraded that much. I just want to underscore and ask a question. Okay. Uh, my understanding is that when they first started the python program, they were tagging the females, and <clears throat> they removed the males but leave the females. And well, one, are they still doing that? And it would seem to me that tagging the males would make more sense. I'll, I'll take your comment off the air. All right, Jack, thank you for your call. Thank you, Jack. Yes, um, so there are several uh, programs out there now. Um, uh, one is through the Conservancy of Southwest Florida and uh, U.S. That's, uh, University of Florida is also doing it here on the east side, and and um, basically they tag the females. Um, actually, they they tag both now. Uh, they were tagging the males, and they, they still do tag the males um, to during the breeding season. Um, they will follow that male, and it will bring 
the researchers to females and other males because they they do they uh, when they breed they they make breeding balls breeding conglomerates and um, that way they can catch more than one python at a time and getting those big breeding females out of the environment are, is is critical you know one of the one of the pythons that I caught was only 13 feet and it had 85 eggs in it oh my These goodness can get to be 18 feet and have over 100 eggs in them so it's critical to get those those breeders out. And um, and the, and basically, they do both males and females uh, for research. We we don't know much about these. If you can tag along with them by putting a, a radio transmitter in them, we can learn so much more and hopefully be able to target them better. Uh, and you know, it's all about understanding. You know, I understand your 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 prey. You you can catch it easier. So so if I uh, follow you. Yes, yeah, so sorry, Donna, didn't mean to interrupt. No, go um, ahead. So if I follow you, and we're going to get another caller or two involved in the conversation shortly. So when you're tagging the females, I guess that's females that aren't don't have eggs in them, because I guess if you thought or knew that they did, you wouldn't want them to still be wandering freely. So the good thing that we know, we, we do know some things about the pythons, and we know when they breed, and we know when their eggs are going to hatch, and uh, when they're going to lay their eggs, and then when they're going to when when they're going to hatch. So they have uh, recently they just put out a, a 16 foot, which most most likely um, had eggs in it, and uh, they let they took her, they let her back out, and they're following her. Mm. And if she does nest up, they will take her egg. Um, they will hatch them and they will put transmitters in in the babies and then they'll follow the babies through their life to see if we can you know if we can disrupt the the life cycle at that age too i see so this is all in the name of sort of research to sort of curtail breeding and and the spread even though some of it's allowing those things to happen for tagging purposes that helps with the research effort overall yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah unfortunately you do have to make you have to make some sacrifices to 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 get the the not you know to learn and and get the knowledge that we need to uh to help remove more i see yeah. all right let's take another call hi you're on talking animals with donna khalil <coughs> hello it's you hello i'm pretty sure you're there i thought i just heard your clear voice it's you if you'd like to participate hello last last well, chance hello can you hear me yeah no it's you you're you're on the air with donna khalil on talking animals on wnf i'm so, I'm so sorry uh, quick question um other countries that uh were these Burmese pythons are indigenous. Do they have areas where they're controlled by predators or that are overrun? Uh, that's my question. Uh, yes, they. So uh, in Southeast Asia is where they're from. Um, they do have predators such as uh, king cobras and uh, honey badgers and, um, well, unfortunately, humans. (laughs) Uh, People actually do eat them over there because they don't have the mercury content that that the ones here in in the Everglades have. So um, it's mostly uh, natural predators would be the cobras and uh, and honey badgers and birds. Um, We do, I've seen predation on baby pythons. Uh, from birds uh, here, like great white herons and great blue herons and uh, wood storks. They will eat uh, the hatchlings, which are about two, two and a half feet when they come out of their eggs. But it makes a good meal for the for our larger birds. So we do have a few predators that can take them out when they're young. Um, but, yeah, no, we don't have king cobras, and I wouldn't recommend importing them to, uh, to help with our python problem. <laughs> that might be worse. One other question for you. Um, Go ahead. 
I realize you do this on the side. Uh, do you offer, like, if somebody wants to come down and accompany you, just sort of go through the experience and watch you try to find a python and, you know, for a, a fee, that sort of thing? Do you do that sort of sort of uh, thing? No, I, unfortunately, I don't. Um, we are limited to the amount of uh, assistance that we are allowed to have out there in the in the glades. And um, there are some people that um, you know that that do tours. And, and I highly recommend uh, Python Huntress Amy. You can see find her online at uh, pythonhuntress.com, I believe. Um, and uh, you know there there are some some. Uh, some guides that will take you out looking for them. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't recommend going. I mean, especially if you don't know. Well, if you don't know the Everglades, I wouldn't recommend you going out there on your own. Uh, you know, because you could get lost out there, and a lot of people get into trouble because they don't bring enough water with them when they're out there searching. So that's, that's right. a huge one. Right. <laughs> but right. yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not allowed to uh, under my contract. Okay, okay thanks so much for your call. Appreciate it. Sure. Okay, so we're speaking with uh, Donna Khalil. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. Donna is a uh, python hunter, and uh, we're talking about how, how that work uh, works and some of the other surrounding things like tracking and, and trying to understand better the breeding of these uh, snakes. So, Donna, maybe uh, you've been doing this, you said, about six years or so. Describe like a regular day. Like sometimes I think you're working at night, and sometimes I think you're working at at, in the daytime or, or, or early part of the day, is that right, or is it only a specific yeah. time? Yeah, no, I, I work year round. Um, yeah, I, I started um, in 2017 working professionally, um, but I've been searching for pythons for well, 2005 actually, um, when I found out that there was a problem in the in the glades. And what it looked like before was I would have my husband and my kids in, in the car and say, let's go out in the Everglades and enjoy the day. And I would go looking for pythons. Wow. Uh, Where's mom gone this time? Let me guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, once a, once a snake hunter, always a snake hunter, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, when it, when it got to be the Python Challenge in 2013, then I started researching a little bit more on how to, how to hunt for them. And when it came to uh, being a professional, and I, I did catch several uh, um, prior to becoming a professional for the parks and, and uh, for myself. Um, again, you have to euthanize them immediately. You're, you're, they are a, um, a federally regulated species. So if you do come across a python, you're not allowed to transport them live. Um, I, as a professional, have a, a permit through FWC to transport them live um, so that I can euthanize them in, in an area that's, you know, uh, safe. Um, but unfortunately, um, anybody else is not allowed to transport them live. So anyway, when I become a professional, um, uh, what, it, what it is, is uh, I do have a Ford Expedition. My, my 1998, I gave it a second life by Making making it my Python removal uh, machine, and um, I have a Python perch up on top, which if you picture like a tuna tower, um, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's up on top of my expedition, wow. and it has uh, it has lights um, all around. So uh, most of the year I hunt at night, um, right after sunset is when I generally start, and I drive out into the Everglades and in, onto the levees, and you know the levees have locked gates. So I do have a key to get in and uh, travel down these uh, locked lock levees. And uh, with the lights, and I have uh, I generally have a, a volunteer with me so that we're covering both sides of the road as we're going uh, through. And, you know, once somebody yells Python, I put it in park and I 
go down there and see where it is and make sure it's not trying to take off. And if it's not trying to take off, a lot of the times you can come up right behind them. And as long as you don't make a shadow and, and too much noise, if you move slowly, you can literally sneak up on them and grab them right behind the head. And then all the excitement starts, you know, the bigger, the better. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they are a very strong uh, animal and, uh, you know, you can get overpowered by a seven or eight footer if you're not, if you don't know what you're doing. So yeah, you to me, that would be a risk. If it's a big one, and even though you do have expertise, it just seems like there's things that could go wrong, and, and they're, they're, at that point, they're obviously very strong. So how do you ensure that nothing is going to go sideways the next thing you know, you've got a, a python kind of overtaking you? Yeah, you have to be very careful. Um, you do have to know what you're doing. Um, I personally always try to grab them right behind the head, but that's not always uh, possible. possible. You know, sometimes yeah. they will they will take off on you, and you have to grab them. You know, I, I try to grab as far as close up to the head as possible because if you grab in the middle, you've got a chance. If you grab above the middle, closer to the head, the snake's going to turn around and try to bite you. So sure. you have to be fast and you have to catch them before they catch you. But if you gra- grab them in the middle and below the middle, they try to take off. And uh, again, if they're in the water, they're slippery, they're going to slip through your hands or in the weeds, they could slip through your hands to get away. And, um, you know, I don't want that to happen. So uh, that's why I always try to go for the head and uh, I'll take those extra few seconds to, you know, climb through the woods to get to the head. Um, And so there is this thing where they will try to wrap you. You know, they are a constrictor. They don't have venom, which is a good thing. They, they, uh, uh, I don't think I'd be doing this if they were, if they were venomous, quite honestly. Yeah, for sure. At least not in this manner. Um, uh, So basically, if you grab them and and they get the better of you, you kind of, the best thing to do is just let go and they will take off. They, they, they're not mean or or vindictive or anything. They're not going to say, you know, you tried to grab me, I'm going to bite you back. No, they're just biting to try to get away so if you ever get in trouble with them you just let them go and they they take off they'll take off and uh, i've had to i've had to let go and then i'll grab them again and get a better grab on them and pretty much anytime i've i've only had my hands on uh i guess three that i i grabbed and they were in the water and they slipped through my hands okay because you uh, think sometimes if you don't know much about it or you've seen movies or you know whatever you're getting your information you think that unlike what you just said they wouldn't necessarily go away like if you if they were bothered and you'd already kind of attacked them or grabbed them or whatever that they might try to wrap themselves around you or whatever which then you'd be in big trouble but it sounds like generally speaking that's not the case at all uh they're going to fight when when you once you put your hands on i mean you can literally sit there and watch them you can sit right next to them and watch them as they continue their path, if you don't touch them, uh, if you're quiet and, you know, like if you're birding, right? You're not going to run out of the woods and yell, oh, there's a bird. No, yeah. you're going to be nice and quiet and calm. Right. The same thing with the snake. They're going to be calm and they're going to continue to do their own thing. But as soon as you put your hand on them, <laughs> that's another story. You know, yeah. they will try to bite you. They will try to wrap you. They do another thing called musking. And that's just a nasty thing that they do to, uh, you know, they slap poop and, and pee and all sorts of stuff on you. And you don't want to hold them. You know, it's something that wants to eat something. They don't want to eat something that's all messy like that. So that is one of their defenses. Wow. And they're going to defend themselves. You know, any animal will. Any animal you grab, that's going to try to defend itself. And yeah. sure enough, you know, the, these big 
big animals will. And that's why, you know, the largest python I've caught was a 14-foot python, and it gave me a run for my money. I was, you know, on my own. And, you know, it's it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. You definitely have to be skilled to be able to do that, and I wouldn't recommend doing that, you know, if you don't know what you're doing. So it always... They go out with with somebody. You shouldn't be out there by yourself. Right, because when you said that it's fourteen footer, you 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 were by yourself at that time. Um, was that just kind of a rare circumstance? Because it sounded like you're otherwise with a volunteer or with someone when you're out there. Yeah, yeah. So I I did have two uh, young researchers with me that didn't know what to do. Um, they were just really along for the ride. Oh, I see. And, um, so I did have to I did have to catch it on my own and uh, bring it up to the levee and um, settle it down. And then and then uh, and then I did have help getting it in the bag, which is, is very helpful. And and actually, I didn't spot that one. So I would not have gotten that one. It was on the other side of the car uh, as I was driving down the levee. So that that one I would have gotten away from me had I not had a volunteer to at least spot for me. Yeah, you know? and that kind of reminds me of something I was going to ask you about. Is my sense is that there are often employment opportunities to become a python hunter. Is the management district or other entities uh, indeed often hiring for this kind of uh, work? Well, not often. Um, you know, when, when I say there's so much space and there's only 100 of us, um, there's not that many levees and roads that we can drive on. I see. Uh, so it can get actually pretty pretty um crowded pretty crowded out there yeah you know and uh and so a uh, hundred is actually a lot yeah uh, for the program um and you know i i personally um i think it's it's a fairly good number uh to to cover all of the grounds uh, that we have there are some hunters that uh cover grounds that you know the pythons haven't showed up with yet but it's very important to uh to to check those grounds because if they do start showing up there, we have to try to cut them off and, and slow their slow their ex- expansion. Yeah, for, uh, and for what you said earlier, it sounds like they are expanding their their territory yeah, yeah. for one reason or yeah. another. And, yeah, and, and you know, quite honestly, um, I feel a very privileged to have this opportunity, and I think most of uh, the contractors do. And most of the contractors are are actually snake lovers. They also have snake snakes as pets and. You know, the, the, it's it, it's it's a crazy thing to think about it. You know, what what we're doing, uh, what we have to do uh, to save our environment, and and most of us are definitely nature lovers, and and uh, a lot of us have had uh, experience with snakes as, as pets and whatnot. Yeah, so, uh, it does it does seem contradictory as we touched on earlier in our conversation, just because yeah. you and it sounds like many many others that are your colleagues do love mm-hmm. snakes, and you, of course you have Benny and have a snake that lives with you at home, etc. So mm-hmm. there, there's that on the one side, and then there's the task at hand that seems almost directly opposite of someone who's a snake lover, and yet there's yeah. the as we already touched on the larger kind of mission involved about what's happening to all the other species that these pythons are just decimating. Right. And and let me tell you, um, you know, I don't know all hundred contractors, but uh, everyone that I know loves being out there. They, they, they hate that they have to euthanize the, the pythons, but you know, we don't catch a python every single time we go out. Um, yeah. I haven't caught one. I haven't caught one since last week. Um, and I've been out every night. So, um, you know, you better enjoy being out there and seeing the native snakes or the birds, you know, the the owls in the trees. And otherwise you get bored out of your mind, you know, because yeah. the python, you know, you're out there five, six, seven hours. And, it, you know, if you come across the python every, some some people don't come across them, you know, maybe once a month or once every few months. And, uh, you know, that only lasts 
you know, five minutes in spotting them and catching them and putting them in the bag, taking the, you know, you have to take a picture and send it in and for, for details. And we were on an app so that we uh, give the details as to where we caught it and when we caught it and all that good stuff. Uh, but that takes five minutes, and then you're on the road again, you know, yeah. driving down this dark road in the middle of the Everglades. You better enjoy being out there. Or it's it's not a, you know, it doesn't pay well enough to, to say, well, I'm going to get my paycheck at the end of this, and so it's worth it. It's, it's yeah. Well, and I was <laughs> I was raised not to ask people what they make, but can you give me a broad sense? Because I, if I'm not mistaken, it seems like part of it's by the size of the python itself and then there's i guess some other uh, elements right. to whatever that yeah. form is we make we make 13 dollars an hour um uh 18 in on uh lands that don't have as many pythons because like i said it is important to to check those uh properties as well sure um i generally don't go into those properties because i do like to catch pythons so right. i'm in areas where there's plenty of pythons so i i'm going to do what i do best um, and, and get as many as I can as quickly as I can. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's 13 an hour and that kind of covers gas and the upkeep on, on the car. You know, my, my truck is in 1998 and I just spent 10 grand in fixing the darn thing to keep it on the road. Wow. So I'm in the red. I'm going to be in the red. Most yeah. Years, but it sounds life. like you love the work. Yeah. And then am I right though, that, that beyond that hourly rate, that there is some yeah. sort of formula for the the actual size of the yeah. python puts more money in the pockets. Uh, you get you get fifty dollars for the first four feet and twenty five dollars for each additional foot. Yeah. So yeah, it, it you know if you're catching pythons, it, it it makes it worth it. You know during the during the months where you can catch them there. Like I say, I, I hunt year-round, um, and there are different times to hunt hatchlings and pythons on nests and, and uh, you know, basically the, the males just uh, males and females just feeding, just get, being out there um, uh, hunting for their food, and we're out there hunting the hunters, basically. Um, that's most of the year, uh, but there are some months that uh, I'll be out there 10, 12 hours uh, from day, you know, from morning to, to night because... There's certain times that the pythons will be out sunning themselves um, on the colder days. And uh, if it's not too cold, they'll still move at night. So, mm. um, yeah, like I say, every every month there's a, a different activity with these darn pythons. Yeah, you know? and, but it sounds like you really, you, you know, uh, good days, bad days, whatever. The, you, fundamentally, you actually love the work. And what this really sounds like, which makes perfect sense, is that all the way back to your Venezuela days and then your initial and beyond Florida days, that you just like being out and about, you like being out in nature, you like seeing animals, birds, whatever, snakes if they're there, pythons obviously if they're there. Um, mm -hmm. But if it's a day that doesn't happen to have any pythons at all, to, to, to you, it sounded like it's still a good day because you were out and about, you were moving around, you were seeing stuff, you were doing stuff, and it just sounds like that's kind of like been the pattern from childhood. Yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, we we take a sunrise and a sunset for granted, most of us. I, I try not to. I try to get out there right before the sunset, and you know, I catch a beautiful sunset out there, there over the Everglades, and if I don't catch anything else, I've had a wonderful day, you know? So that's yeah. uh, that's how it is uh, in my life. <laughs> sure. Well, we've just about reached in, kind of the end of our time here, Donna. But one thing I just want to touch on because you've alluded to it. But can you tell us a little bit more about the Florida Python Challenge? And this may actually be of interest to the gentleman who called earlier wondering about people like yourself taking yeah. other people out on outings, which you're not allowed to do. But this might be the next best thing for certain people who are interested in kind of stepping into this world a little bit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you can go to fwc.com. Uh, they have the Python Challenge up right, right now. It's going to it's going to start August fourth through the thirteenth. 
and there are there are prizes for uh, catching the the most pythons and the largest python. Um, I've been fortunate to win on both of those occasions, <laughs> um, and I will be I will be uh, participating again. And uh, yeah, there are there are several uh, people that that do um, uh, guide uh, and. Uh, but on fwc.com, you can get some information on, on how to go about uh, registering and learning a little bit about the rules and regulations and where you can hunt. And, you know, you do want to know the difference between your native snakes and your non-native snakes. Um, you don't want to remove any native snakes, including the venomous ones. So there are some dangers out there that you have to be aware of, you know. But if you've, you know, if you're from Florida or you know about Florida wildlife, um, you know, all the power to you. Get out there and be safe and, and uh, um, you know, good luck. Yeah. And I guess they assume if you're entering that you do know enough to not make those mistakes. They, they probably can't really, they don't have the resources to probably check, well, this person doesn't really know snakes that well, so this is kind of too dangerous for them to enter. I think you're, I assume you're probably on your own. If you're entering, you're There's entering, obviously, you're at yeah. your own risk, yeah. kind of. There's an online course there, and, yeah. and it does, you know, so you, you do have to you do have to pass a test that you can identify a python uh, as opposed to a corn snake or a water snake and yeah. that sort of thing. Well, that's so, good. Yeah, yeah. Know know your snakes. Know your venomous snakes. You know, be, be careful about that. And and um, yeah, that's 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 real important. Yeah. And go with a friend. You know, go with a friend. Let people know where you're going because uh, people do get lost pretty much every year. I think people get lost out there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, definitely let somebody know where you're going and uh, definitely go with a friend, you know. Okay. Well, cool. Well, this sounds like a great note on which to uh, to end our conversation. Uh, maybe we'll get some um, aspiring uh, python hunters uh, out there for the challenge. And uh, so, Donna, thank you so much for making the time to join us. I really found this really interesting and kind of a glimpse into something that a lot of us have heard about for years and years, of course, but haven't don't have the kind of direct insights or experience that you do. So I really appreciate joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're more than welcome. I hope to see some of your listeners out there looking for pythons. Okay, great. Thanks so much. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. In a moment, we're going to hear a wonderful animal song, if we, time permitting, dog song, really, from Josh Rouse. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Talking Animals' fave Nate Bargansi and a snake-related piece in a nod to our conversation with Donna, this is How to Get Bitten by a Snake from Nate Barabazzi in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I went to Honduras, another place. I had no, like, because like, I was at the airport, and the guy was like, uh, I was like, I'm going to Honduras. He was like, what city? And I was like, I'm just learning right now that's not the name of the city. So... <laughs> Just wherever other people are going, probably. <laughs> Let's just go there and figure it out. We get to the base, and the guy, he's like telling us about Honduras, and he, uh, he's like, you gotta be careful. He's like, uh, you gotta really look out for snakes. There's a lot of venomous snakes here. So when you walk around, just keep an eye out. And he was like, now if you get bit by a snake, uh, the best thing to do is then just go ahead and catch the snake and bring it so then we know, like, what snake bit you. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm pretty positive that's, like, exactly what you're not supposed to... Like, I've never seen that ever on Animal Planet. Like, something gets bit, and then they gotta be like, now I gotta get it. Uh, 
I was like, I'm not going to do it. I was like, that doesn't make sense. I've never caught a snake in my life. And then when I get bit for the first time, I got to get it together and catch a snake. I was like, it's not going to go good, man. I was like, he's going to keep biting me. That's all that's going to happen. And he was like, it doesn't matter. Like, you've already been bit. And I was like, do you even know what a snake is? It completely matters. There's a huge difference between one bite and probably 30 bites. That's what we're going to be at if I try to catch this snake. Who told you this? The snake? Is that who told you to tell me all of this? Whose side are you on? But I did want to mention this story that you probably heard about because it's been making the rounds. But uh, let me just read some of it to you just because uh, somehow that seems more fitting. A black bear broke into a Connecticut bakery garage Wednesday and helped itself to 60 cupcakes before store employees were able to shoo the bear away. Workers at Taste Bike Spellbound in Avon, Connecticut were loading cupcakes into a van for delivery when the bear entered the garage and dragged out a full box of the desserts. It was a little shocking, Maureen Williams, an employee at the bakery, told TV station WTNH. The adrenaline was pumping after that one for sure. Williams, who was inside the garage when the bear showed up, said she tried to scare the bear off, but it kept coming back. He turned around and came towards me, Williams told the station. At that point, I knew I wasn't going to shut the door. He was too close, so I backed myself out and ran. Surveillance video shows two employees walking around the side of the bakery to try to scare the bear off, but the bear ends up scaring them. The bear then dragged out a full box of cupcakes from the garage and ate about 60 of the sweets, WTNH reported. So that's the story. And the one thing I haven't caught up with, but my wife told me this morning, that bear apparently went back to the bakery with another bear. So I can only imagine the conversation like, hey, this is like the greatest thing. you got to try these cupcakes. So anyways, I, get, I did get a kick out of that. Anyways, uh, coming up on WF, more great programming. And including when we shift back into music programming with Jim Bannon holding forth from 1 to 3 p.m., followed by Robin and Cassie from 3 to 6. Then our terrific block of Latin music takes over and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, as a prize for naming that animal tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals. On WMNF. We'll take your guests off here because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to join me next Wednesday when I'll be here alongside the fabulous Flea, one of the first hours of the summer fun drive, raising money for WMNF right here on Talking Animals. It'd be great if you could give us a head start by going to WMNF.org, finding the Talking Animals tip chart and slipping a little something in to give us a head start. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we ever broadcast and uh, Apple Podcasts are available there too as well as other podcast platforms also links to our social media sites, pages and more so that's all at talkinganimals.net 
I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. We'll see you next Wednesday here to help raise money for WNF on Talking Animals at WNF Tampa. Thanks.